Blog Talk Radio. Authority Radio with your host, Jeff Blue, Chaotic Katie, the Dean of Wrestling Referee Steve Kane, and Sadistic Sean David. Lock and low wrestling fans, it's time for war. show will never, ever, and can never, ever be a bag of dicks. Chaotic Katie. What Uh, a day. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And for Toronto, it's uh, what a night. You can just just shut off. You can just (laughs) shut off. The reason why you didn't get a shutout is because I told you to enjoy a shutout. So, yeah. We didn't get entirely skunked, but... Yeah, you guys needed to win and the points and the playoff spot more than we did, so the game's not over yet. And the game's not over yet. So, to you. I don't care. I don't care, man. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm you know, but, uh, they got to score, <laughs> score four goals in uh, about uh, 15 and a half minutes, so I don't four know how that's going to work. And a half? Four goals in 15 yep. and a half? Obviously, you don't watch the least, man. We like to pull goals out of our ass the last five minutes. Hey, so remember, not. this is the Black this is the Miracle happen? team. We've done, oh, we've done the Stanley yeah. Cup Finals. Yeah, and you seem to forget that your team also has, also won the Cup with Mimical Boys from my area. So, hey. I, don't, I don't care. Hey. Like I said. You may be an American team, but it's our game. We let you play it, and it proves it because uh, we have Canadians on your team. There's Canadians on most NHL teams, okay? So it's our game. We just let oh, you play gee. it. <laughs> all right. Okay. We're yeah. you know, we're not we're not going to talk hockey all night. Um, oh, we could not. we actually you and I you and I could actually uh, put a show together where we could talk hockey all night. <laughs> that would be that would be a lot of fun for this season. Yeah, actually, you know what? Do, hey, do maybe, what you're in the day, and Darren might even join. Yeah. Hey, if it's a daytime show, what, Darren would Darren would come in. Uh, well, hey, maybe next uh, maybe next season we'll have to we'll have to do that. We'll have to uh, yeah. create a, uh, a hockey show on here. I mean, you, you know, talk to there's, the there's nothing I'm not there's nothing there's nothing on the network. Uh, Information that says this is a hundred percent have to be a wrestling channel. Now, no, it, it just happens. Uh, 
we are very much into that. So, all right. Well, uh, tonight we are going to have one of the people who has been one of the stalwarts of the Memphis wrestling scene for over 30 years. Randy Hales will be uh, joining us in uh, just a little while. Um, Very nice. This is, uh, yeah, well, it's funny how this all came up. Um, it uh, it happened that uh, Randy was uh, doing his uh, little um, show on uh, Periscope, and mm-hmm. so I have you have to do what for how many cookies? Um, where did Steve go? Steve. Being all over and uh, tangled oh, by. Uh, yeah, my oldest furry child was uh, walking all over and uh, tangling herself up in my uh, headphones there. Almost uh, <coughs> took me out. So anyway. <laughs> So anyway, so I'm I'm seeing uh, Randy Hales. Wow. Okay. I've I you know I I've seen I've seen Randy on uh, um, syndication of uh, Memphis TV and that. So I so I went ahead. I started watching. He started uh, telling uh, some Memphis uh, stories and that. And I'm like, well, you know what? You got to You got to come on our show, man. And he saw he saw the message and he's like, I'd love to. So he says, you know, email me and we'll and we'll go ahead and we'll get this set up. Now, um, originally we were going to have this set up last for last week, but uh, some you know some uh, mop-haired uh, kid by the name of Morton had to had to be on. So you know we had to yeah. we had to hold Randy off for a week. <laughs> We could have had Randy, but, um, didn't we? We could have had him too. Well, we didn't. Well, you know, remember, we didn't know at that point how long um, Ricky was going to be yeah, on, Ricky and then of course, uh, and then and then of course, I was uh, not exactly doing the best. Um, for those of you who no. uh, don't know, I did wind up actually uh, the next night. Uh, go into the hospital for a little while and that yeah. uh so well, uh that's why that's also why we ended the ended last week's show 45 minutes early because i just yeah you just I you were out of it. just physically couldn't hang anymore yeah, yeah. i mean i know i sounded like crap i felt like crap well it was it was not fun i haven't honestly katie i haven't been that sick in I can't even tell you how many years it's been since oh. I've been that bad. Well, I, mean, I used I'm, to be plagued by lung, lung infections and bronchitis and lose my voice in like April or April and May, and that hasn't happened in years. And I had my first cold in a few years this year. It was gone mm. quick, thank goodness. But <clears throat> Wow. Well, oh, well you're very happens. fortunate. Yep. <laughs> But uh, at least, you know, hey, got over it. I mean, I've got some, I've still got some uh, residual side effects, mm-hmm. but uh, we're, but we're, we're pretty much uh, gone slow but sure. So, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're good. We're going to manage to keep everything going. Um, 
So, um, you know, uh, let's let's kind of, let's kind of talk about a little bit because um, when we talk about Memphis, okay, there are definitely a lot of names that uh, come up here. Um, we've got, uh, of course, of course, Jerry Lawler. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't talk about Memphis without talking about the King. Absolutely no. not. I mean, you know, Jerry Jerry Lawler is the is the face that made the place. Um, and of course, uh, and of course, and of course, you got uh, um, Jerry Jarrett, who started out the territory. Jeff Jarrett, of course, um, and then and then uh, superstar uh, Billy Dundee. Austin Idol, um, Lanny Poffo, and his brother uh, Randy Macho Man Savage both got their starts uh, down there. Um, the Rock and Roll Express actually, in wow. fact, started down there. Jerry Lawler was the one who put uh, Ricky and Robert together and made them a tag team, and the rest is the rest is history. On that, I mean, you know. And uh, you know, so I mean, so many guys. Um, uh, my my old my old friend Fred Ottman. Um, in fact, if mm-hmm. I'm in fact if my memory serves um, Fred has U.S. Steel. Um, that was his Memphis was his last territory before he got signed by by Vince and the WWF. So it's you know it's uh it's quite it's quite the it's quite the uh you know it's quite the legendary territory. Um I mean it was uh first it was uh CWA, um then it became USWA, then uh um USWA um merged merged um with uh with uh Dallas after uh Fritz von Erich sold out. Uh, we got a call there, Katie. So okay, um, I'm on it. I'm, me... going, I'm going. I'm going. All right. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> yep. Do your J O B. Um. So there's so there's um you know quite a few people who have who have called the Memphis uh, territory home, and so this is. So this is really going to be fun. Oh, okay. Well, by golly, hey, look who's look who's here. Um, so, all right, Katie, quit uh, quit having quit having uh, chick chat here. So, I'll, all right. Hey, uh, yeah. here's, here's one of our people. Uh, Tina Gant is with us again this week. Hey, Tina, how you doing, hon? John, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I well, I say that, but I'm under the weather tonight, so uh, oh. not too great. But, you know, I can always run my mouth a little bit. You'll be all right. Oh my God! All right. Sorry. Well, hey, before Randy Hales gets in, um, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how last weekend went? Oh, last week was just totally awesome. Uh, we had, of course, the Rock and Roll Express to come. Uh, 
Sorry, you know, you had Ricky Morton on, and you know what a great guy he is. And then, you know, team him up with Robert Gibson, let them come out and do their rock and roll thing. Uh, the fans the fans were just wild. They they went that, ballistic. That's awesome. Sorry. That is that is definitely awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're we're both we're both kinda Katie and I are kind of a little bit slightly <laughs> distracted, uh that's why, that's, why you heard, that's why you heard me cheer. His, his hockey team played uh, my hockey team, and he's telling uh, the scores. Um, with, give me a damn score. It's five two now, and he's telling me that I can't score. My team can't score. Um, how many more goals? So I, three more goals to tie it up. Yeah. And okay. Um, I. Katie, I have a feeling. I have a feeling, looking at the uh, number on the switchboard, that uh, this is who we're waiting for. I'll, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. Sorry. So, I'll say, guys, you'll know, right. know the answer. I think so, too. All right. All right. You'll know the answer to the argument, you know, when, when the when the game ends and the, and the guy goes one, two, three, you know, you know you're going to know who wins then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Of course, in this case, it's hockey, so it's the fi- so it's the final uh, final buzzer that uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. tells us uh, who who won and who lost, and all of that all of that good stuff. So, um, well, you, right. you know my mentality though. Everything has to be like one. <laughs> I just have yep. I have the wrestling mentality on everything. You know, I can go to a football game uh, and they say, "Well, what's the score?" I said, "I don't know. What's the one, two, three? You have Randy Hales on tonight, I understand. Oh, yes, we do, and he just got well, here. Well, in I fact, we not only have him What's on up? tonight, we have him on now. Randy Hales, welcome to Wrestling Authority Radio. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Hey, Steve, I'm Memphis Wrestling born, Memphis Wrestling bred, and by God, when I die, Randy Hales will be Memphis Wrestling Dead. I'm ready to go, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Thanks for coming out. Guys, I'm going to leave it with you tonight. Randy Hales is a great guy. Uh, take every word he says to heed. He's a wonderful person. And I'm going to leave it with you guys. And like I said, I'm under the weather. So, good night. Just wanted to holler at you all. All right, darling. All right. Take care. All right, we love you. you take care. Get better. We'll talk to you later, okay? All right. Love you guys. All right. Hey, love you too. Love you too, darling. One. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So here, Randy Hales. Hey, so Randy, we're we're gonna we're gonna start way off and outside of the box here. Um, Want to go ahead and talk about you know your um, growing up and that. Um, what type of what type of uh, sports or activities that uh, you might have been involved in uh, in school and that, and then you know, and then from there we'll uh, we'll bring the uh, we'll bring the wrestling part into it. Well, once the wrestling part came into it, that's when my life changed in sense. You know, like any uh, normal normal young boy, you know, I played basketball, played. Baseball, that sort of thing. The only team sport that I did uh, was basketball, and that was in elementary and around junior high, that sort of thing. But I got hooked in wrestling at 10 years old, and I did a lot of wrestling in the neighborhood and at the schools and just playing around backyard wrestling, they would call call now. But professional wrestling became a part of my life 
when I was 10 years old. And really, I don't remember much other in my life besides pro wrestling, Memphis wrestling, since then. Wow. Mm. Wow. So, uh, so now, do you, so okay, so let's see, let's see how, let's see how well you remember. Who, who did you, who did you see in the beginning when, you know, when this ten-year-old um, turns on the TV and is uh, watching, is watching Memphis wrestling? Then, yeah, who caught your eye? I think the first thing I remember a few weeks uh, that, that I started watching, the wrestling was on Channel 13, WHBQ TV, back in the day uh, from the late 50s until 1977. But the thing that caught me, my eye, I knew the, the Southern Tag Team Champions were the interns. Their manager was Dr. Ken Ramey, and they were going against Lynn Rossi. Lynn Rossi was one of the popular favorites, and his tag team partner – was Kevin Sullivan. Now, Kevin Sullivan had a great body oh and looked impressive, but we, and it's the Kevin Sullivan, the uh, WCW Kevin Sullivan, the guy that, that's been around forever. But it was a young rookie, wow. so I'm thinking, I was conditioned that he's just the guy that's going to get beat up. But they threw a loop mm-hmm. in the plan because Lynn Rossi, Lynn Rossi and Kevin Sullivan won the Southern Tag Team Championship. That's a memory. Another big memory I remember and probably the most impactful is that Al Green was trying to get my favorite wrestler, Jackie Fargo. This was around 1972, so I'd have been 11. Tried to get Fargo to put up his hair, and Fargo knew. He knew that he had, that Al had a brother and a manager, Sir Steve Clements. He knew that they were evil. He knew that he didn't need to put his so we kept saying every week, no, on the television and said, Jackie Fargo, you're just like your drunken, old, dead daddy. You're a coward. Oh, my. Oh my. Fargo came out real impactful back in 1972, came out and cried on the interview about Al talking about his dead daddy. Absolutely cried. It was a Oscar-winning performance, and that resulted in Fargo accepting the hair match. That following Monday, after about a year of moving into the Mid-South Coliseum for weekly matches, of course that went on for for 20, 25 years, but that was the very Mm -hmm. first sellout, very first sellout, Jackie Fargo Alvary hair versus hair, and I've been hooked hooked ever since. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow, that's that's something. That's something. That's you know, hey, it's yeah. That's the thing when we're it's when we're young boys that uh, all of a sudden those images take hold and the and the dreams are born and that. So now, how did it go from this young boy who was sitting around? Watching, watching uh, studio wrestling on TV, but suddenly turn into somebody who actually got in, got into the business. How did you, how did you manage? Because of course, back back in our day, Randy, you know this, I know this. Oh, you didn't just there weren't there wasn't a there wasn't a training school on every corner, and a, and a promotion every every few blocks. 
you had to you had to know somebody, you had to be in with somebody, you had to be accepted by somebody before you were allowed in the brotherhood and that. So how how wow. how did you how did you get your break into our brotherhood? <clears throat> well, I am writing a book that will come out in 2019. Randy Hell's living the uh, dream from, um, and it's from uh, a fan until the owner, the founder, and the president of Memphis Power Pro Wrestling. Over a 40-year period, that's what it went uh, from, and it was luck. It was absolutely luck. I had a neighbor whose dad was the chairman of the American Legion Wrestling Committee that presented wrestling every Saturday night, Memphis wrestling every Saturday night in my hometown of Jonesboro, Arkansas. I happened to run across them at the uh, park a few blocks from my house, and we got to talking wrestling. And I, my parents would take me two or three times a year um, because they weren't wrestling fans. Plus, we just didn't do that, spend money every week. But through meeting that guy, becoming friends with the son, I got in um, to going and being able to go in free every Saturday night to the weekly matches. And early on, because my friend's dad was the local promoter, so to, so to speak, um, I started selling Eddie Marlin's pictures. Now, 47 years later, or however, well, about 47 years later, Eddie Marlin, my mentor, my fr- friend, he's 88 years old with advanced COPD. I'm in the back bedroom in a makeshift like. studio right right now. And during the day, I'm able to look out and take care, take after and take care of my mentor. So it's pretty neat. Just getting involved, selling pictures with Eddie, making five cents for every picture I sold, they you know, 50 cents a picture, I'd get five cents every picture. Then meeting Jerry Jarrett and Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler. And, and by 13, they needed a ring announcer. Eddie, because he liked me. And because he knew that I wanted to be a disc jockey or a TV announcer for my life calling. I said, Randy, we need a fill-in real quick. Announce. And it started there. I started helping Lance and Dave. Wow. Uh, then after, after uh, at the Coliseum matches and ringing out and all over the territory, started helping promote uh, spot shows. And this is 40 years worth of stuff in two minutes. But, you know, I was climbing the ladder. Then in 86, I moved to Memphis and became the assistant booker and uh, right-hand man to Jerry Lawler on one of his booking runs. 87, I moved same spot with Jerry Jarrett. Um, then became the assistant general manager, then the general manager, then in 88, the booker. And then from that on, a uh, um, little few years away, in the 93, 94, I came back as the booker, the general manager, and, uh, and, and the producer of the TV, everything you can think of, I did, including the promoter. And then USWA went out of business. I opened up Power Pro Wrestling, and we were the – the very first developmental territory, because we were in NXT before there was the NXT was ever thought about. As a matter of fact, the current head trainer, Matt Bloom, wrestled for us in Power Pro Wrestling as a part of our very first class from the WWE. Matt Bloom, of course, is is was Baldo for me. We had American Dragon, Brian oh, Anderson. Yeah. We, we had Kurt Angle. We had oh, Spanky. We had so... 
so many. And so it's just basically like a short clip, clip note version of how I got into wrestling. Started as a fan and ended up as a key member of the, the office and one of the power brokers of the last surviving territory in the country. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, okay. So yeah, let's go ahead. Let's start, uh, let's start talking a little bit about those because, um, as I was, as I was kind of, uh, talking earlier tonight, um, in my introduction, uh, a lot of the guys that, um, you see now on TV or you have in the past seen on TV uh, got their big break by working in the Memphis Territory. Um, and I was, uh, was pointing out because um, Fred Oppen's a longtime uh, friend of mine, and if I remember correctly, his last run before, before uh, Vince signed him was as uh, U.S. Steel, they're in uh, they're in Memphis. If I'm if I'm uh, remembering correctly, you know what? I don't remember him at all being U.S. Steel. Maybe I'm just old. I'm 57 now. Maybe I forgot. I remember him very good as Big Bubba, Big Bubba, Goliath, oh, and manager yeah. of Downtown Bruno. Yes. Mm. Yeah, Downtown Bruno. That's Bruno Lauer. That's a, that guy's another character. Um, so let's why, let's talk about let's talk about Bruno for a second. Who, of course, uh, later on he wound up uh, spending a little bit of time uh, not only on TV uh, working for uh, for WWF, but also uh, did some uh, did a lot of uh, backstage uh, behind the scenes work, helping guys uh, get ready. How how did how did Bruno um, get started in this whole thing? Nineteen eighty six. 1986, when I first moved to Memphis, and Waller had a converted storage area in his backyard that Bruno ended up living in for a short period of time later on, but we had it as an office, and Bruno used to call, and this is a guy out of blue, a random guy out of blue, blue, and so we pictured him as a big old diggum guy, that sort of thing. Thing and uh, dad gum, by the way, is a southern word. That's uh, I want to smarten you guys up. Oh yeah, southern <laughs> word dad gum. But anyway, he was a dad gum big guy. Was Waller and I pictured? When we asked him to send us some pictures. I opened up the envelope. I saw Bruno, a little guy and little raggedy type of guy, perfect look for a manager. And I said, look, 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 look at this guy. And so he said, good God, somebody to call him and hire him. So he had two big guys, Big Bubba and Goliath, Bob White, that came down with him, and they came down in 86. They spent the, the night in the studios of, or in the parking lot at TV5, 1960 Union in Memphis, Tennessee, downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We saw him, very impressed. And then, heck, Bruno was a mainstay for a long time, couldn't get rid of him. Maybe he'd go away for a minute and come back. He was great. Behind the scenes, he was great to do whatever. He's the most loyal human being I've ever seen. And he had that little uh, click at the time. This was two years removed from the Jimmy Hart era of managing in the Memphis Territory. And so he picked up and did a, he did a, uh, Bruno did a tremendous job. And I'm so proud of him for right now being one of the longest tenured, tenured employees 
for World Wrestling Entertainment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. All right, you mentioned you mentioned Jimmy Hart, and of course, obviously, we have to Jimmy talk Hart. about the mouth of the South. Um, I mean, you know, this is a guy that um, turned a one-hit wonder into <laughs> a into a career, into into a complete career. Um, hey, I gotta so, I gotta interrupt you. I, hey, Steve, go I gotta interrupt you. We need to have correct information. He was absolutely not, absolutely not a one-hit wonder. He, he was, was a two-hit wonder. He was a two-hit wonder. Oh. And 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 he wrote for other singers as well. Actually, and, and the two successful songs he had, the, the biggest one, of course, is Cinnamon Girl. Uh, or Keep On Dancing, Keep On Dancing and Cinnamon Girl. Yeah. But yeah, and the Man Girl? He, uh, yes, and wow. in the 60s, the Jimmy Hart and the Jitries did absolutely phenomenal, did a great job, and then after that went away, he, of course, became friends with Jerry Waller, started hanging around, Jimmy traveling to the towns, doing some behind-the-scene work a little bit, and then I think I'm right on dates, or uh, could be a year off, but I'm pretty, uh, pretty darn sure that in... 79, he started as a Hill manager, uh, managing Jerry Lawler, and then Jerry Lawler at the, the end of 79 started at 80, broke his leg uh, in a uh, tackle football game, or it wasn't supposed to be a tackle football game. I don't know what it was, but Lawler was out for a year, and and Jerry Jarrett was wondered, wondering about the that the company would survive. We built everything around Jerry Lawler, but what he had Jimmy Hart do is go out and do the Interview, what do you do, Lance Russell? With a race horse that breaks his leg, what do you do, Lance Russell? You shoot him. Well, Jerry Lawler is dead in my mind. And that ended up, when Lawler came back almost a year later, that ended up a five-year run in some of the most famous and classiest and greatest wrestling moments ever, the Jimmy Hart, Jerry Lawler, five-year story. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Back then, you could get away with doing a long, and I mean a long program, and your audience would uh, would keep would keep their intention for the entire time. And that, um, you know, I mean, you know, from from one Saturday, from one Saturday morning to the next, to what would go on in the towns and that. Um, and everybody's just like, yo, know, they they can't they can't wait for they can't wait for next week to, you know, or the or the show that uh, that weekend or that Monday night in Memphis to see if maybe hey is this the night that Jimmy Hart's finally going to get what's coming to him, and that, right and oh. You know, that's I love I love that's the kind of stuff that I love that's the kind of stuff that I know I grew up with just like you Randy I mean you know I'm I'm not too much older than you are I'm 61 and you know, I mean that was I mean where you know where we had our um, TV tapings where you know, it'd be like fans we've run out of time tune in next week and. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you'd be you'd be hooked. You 
you had to you had to find you had to find out if in our case Dick the Bruiser was uh was gonna prevail in that. Um, you know, down there it's you know whether Jerry was gonna, you know, manage to get uh, get to come up it's uh, against Jimmy Hart or uh what was gonna happen or if Jimmy Hart was gonna throw a new obstacle in his way and that type of thing. Um so um now another now another couple of uh people that uh I definitely want to talk about uh are guys that are uh, local at least to me. Um Downers Grove, Illinois. Lanny Poffo and his brother the macho man Randy Savage. Um now of course their their dad Angelo was a was a fixture worked for uh Dick the Bruiser um in here, you know, in uh, Indianapolis, and by extension for uh, Bob Luce up here in Chicago, and that. But uh, he, but he also, um, I know, uh, had quite a bit uh, going down in the South Territories too. So, um, why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about the Poffo family, if we could? Please. The Poffo family, of course, Angelo the father and the. The two brothers, Lanny Poffo and Randy Poffo, they had their own wrestling promotion in the Kentucky area, ICW, that was in a promotion war. They were taking shots at Memphis. It was natural when they went out of business that they would come into Memphis and, and Randy would have a feud with Jerry Lawler. So Randy, the most professional, the whole family, most professional people I've ever seen that came in here in 1980. Four, and I believe it was 1985 when Randy finally left with the notice, one of the very few people in the uh, WWF era when Vince hired people, uh, they, he just wanted them to come. Randy refused to do that. He said, Jerry Jarrett was the only guy that would hire me. I'm giving a notice. So that was a hell of a run, a hell of a run with uh, Randy Savage. And, and one of the things that I always like talking about and Later in 84, the Rock and Roll Express, who had left to go to Mid-South Wrestling for Bill Watts, along with Booker, Bill Superstar Dundee, we had brought the Rock and Roll back. And a match that I, it's on YouTube, I happened to do commentary uh, on just myself solo in 84 from the Mid-South Coliseum. It was Randy Savage, Lanny Poffo with Angelo in the corner against Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, the Rock and Roll Express. And we'd, there was a spot on the outside at the end of the match, a disqualification, and the afterbirth of that is Savage took Ricky Morton on our big, old, wooden, uh, powerful announce table and went up with a pile driver, and it ended up breaking the table. First time that I know of that ever happened, and I remember to this day, and this happened in 1984. This is 2019. I remember uh, in this day when... Randy went ahead and went with the power driver. I wasn't three feet, if that, away from him. Uh, I said, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, he killed him. And that's that's one of my favorite memories of Randy and Lanny as a team. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's some, that's, some, that's some great stuff there. That's some great stuff. So... All right. Well, you you mentioned you you mentioned uh, Billy Dundee. Um, 
there you know when when you talk when you talk about when you talk about Jerry Lawler there are two names that always seem to be said in the same breath as Jerry Lawler when you're talking Memphis one of them is Austin Idol the other one is Billy Dundee let's Let's go ahead and let's let's take let's take some time. Let's talk about uh, Billy Dundee. We can get to we can get to Idol in a little bit here. Okay, and if you would ask me, who's associated with with Waller long uh, term? Certainly, Bill Dundee would be the person with the twenty five year run. Or actually, technically, mm-hmm. it's probably still going on today. They were on the same card, but not in the same match this past weekend. And Bill's seventy five years old. Anyway, wow. I think when yeah. I when I when I think about Lawler, I think Jackie Fargo first and foremost, then Bill Dundee, okay. then I think then I think uh, Jimmy Hart, then I think Andy Kaufman. That's the most mainstream that oh, Lawler wow. ever got. Then when I think of Jerry Lawler, I think about good old Jr. Jim Ross, and then uh, obviously Austin Idol. When you've had a a career as long as Lawler, there's going to be a a big list, and certainly Idle and Lawler drew a ton of money. Bill Dundee came in, came to America. He was born in Scotland. He moved halfway around the world to Australia. Then, thanks to Bobby Shane, um, he and his partner George Barnes got a chance to come to Tennessee. Took a year for for him for them to get all the paperwork done. He came here early 1975 as a tag team. Great tag team, did sell out business. This was a period where Jerry Lawler was kind of banished a little bit, fighting with Jerry Jarrett about bookings, and Jerry Jarrett just said, you can go. Uh, and so that's what happened. And Dundee and Barnes came in, and they had a great run, and one of the feature programs they had was with Tojo Yamamoto and Eddie Marlin, the gentleman, uh, my mentor, that is in the other room here. And, and Tojo and, and Eddie drew money with Barnes and Dundee, and then they drew big money um, with uh, Ryan and Robert and Buddy Fuller uh, had a heck of a thing there. Yes. Bill was Bill was became a fan favorite, a baby face in 1975, and then the uh, rest is history. Bill had a long run, started his feud with Jerry Lawler in 1977. That ended up toward the end of the year. Where not only did Bill lose a hair versus hair match, but the very next week mm. they're saying, "Can you go from here?" Well, Lawler beat Bill again, but this time Bill's wife, the late Beverly Dundee, Bill's wife at the time, uh, she she lost her hair in a hair match. Then in 1983, oh my gosh! Then, wow. then in 1983, 1980, yeah, the wife got bald. So then in 1983, oh my gosh, um, 83, then Bill, um, was had switched for the first time since 75 Hill. The two biggest stars of the last um, eight years, Lawler and Dundee, they booked a loser league town match, Lawler against Dundee, uh, and it sold out a record house at the time because of the fact that people, normally you can predict, well, Dundee's been here eight years, Lawler 10 or 12, so you couldn't predict. So it sold out. The TV show before that is one of my favorite wrestling shows. The hype show for that match, one of my favorite shows of absolute all time. No doubt about it. So Bill went to Georgia for a, a late run. He came back, ended up losing a loser league town match again, this time with Steve Kern. 
And mm. and at that point, Bill, Bill, Bill left to take over the booking job, start of 84, where Bill Watts in Louisiana did the record two business that Bill Watts ever did. Bill came back here in 1985 to be the top wrestler and the booker. At the end of 85, he beat Jerry Lawler in a loser league town match. And in this particular um, match, his wife Beverly's hair was at stake again. But this time, Bill got got out on top. Lawler was gone for several months. When he came back, uh, they had another run again with Buddy Landell as Bill's partner against Lawler and Dutch Mantell. So there's just so much mm. history. And then again, we'd be here for days if I would go into details. I'm just trying to give you cliff notes. Anything you want to know about Memphis wrestling, let me get a couple of plugs out of the way in case people's Please. in and out. I have a podcast, podavenue.com slash hail. Podavenue.com slash hail. And then i got a great Memphis-related website, my powerful wrestling tape library there at RandyHillsMemphisWrestling.com. RandyHillsMemphisWrestling.com, PowerPro, NXT. Before there was NXT, you see the superstar Bill Dundee. You see all the legends of Memphis Wrestling, including Austin Idol, Jimmy Valiant, Jerry Lawler, Brian Christopher, so many more. You see the first of developmental Kurt Angle's first TV match, Kurt Angle's first pro wrestling championship win. You see the American Dragon, who is really Brian, Daniel Bryan. You also see mainstream WWE guys like uh, Michael Hayes and Road Warrior Hawk, that Power Pro Wrestling collection, Randy Hills, MemphisWrestling.com. Now, I backtracked a little bit. I just don't want people to come in and go away. Why would they go away with great information like this? But I want to throw that in, the Power Pro Days and the website at RandyHealthMemphisWrestling.com. So I think I pretty much built on these. Uh, Austin imitated, never duplicated. I talked to him tonight. Like I said, 75 years old. He wrestled Friday and Saturday both. He he is wrestling every weekend uh, through the end of June right now, and he just keeps on keeping on. He's five foot, like Lance Russell says, he's five foot seven, two hundred seven pounds, toughest son of a gun that ever came down the pike. The superstar, Bill Dundee. Yeah, yeah. I have. I've always been a big fan of uh, of Billy's. Um, you know, amazing. Uh, you know, uh, I think one of the things that uh, Lance always said about him is uh, he was built like a spark plug, but uh, or a fire plug, but uh, he could definitely go in that. Um, and love. I love that. I love watching. You know, going back and watching old uh, videos of uh, uh, with Billy and, and uh, Jerry and that. Um, so <clears throat> let's okay. So let's go ahead. Let's um, you talk. You know, you meant you mentioned uh, you mentioned Jimmy Valiant, um, who is a uh, familiar name to me because up here in the Midwest, uh, the Valiant brothers uh, ran roughshod for a long time in uh, Vern Gagne's AWA and uh, Dick the Bruiser and Wilbur Snyder's WWA and that. Um, but uh, let's go ahead. Let's, let's talk, let's talk about, uh, or hand it to me or put on uh, WWE. About, uh, uh, oh, sorry. What's that, Katie? 
sorry, oh, okay. never mind. All right. All right. So let's talk okay. let's talk a little bit about uh about uh Jimmy Valiant and that and uh yeah, how he got how he got his uh start in and how you know how he wound up uh in Memphis and uh everything that uh, kind of goes along with that. All right, nineteen seventy seven after the Lawler Dundee feud was over, Lawler said that he was retiring and becoming a a rock and roll singer, so he went away. They did a tournament for the Southern, the vacated Southern Heavyweight title. Jerry Jarrett brought a lot of people in, including Mr. Wrestling Tim Woods, and had some Jimmy Valiant from Dick the Bruiser's territory. You were mentioning the Bruiser. We'll probably mention the Bruiser a lot. Well, the Bruiser sent Valiant in here, and he got over like a son of a gun from day one, and they ended up in Lawler making a return to do a concert at the Coliseum. Valiant came out, glommed him from behind, broke up the concert, and the rest is history. <laughs> the boy from came rolling in the Memphis TW came rolling in the Memphis TWA and all the ladies had some Jimmy's on his way. He's a rocker and a roller. He's a little bucky too. He's raised by a gypsy. Everybody knows. Oh handsome cool. Um, now, oh my God. Uh, Memphis Memphis Wrestling is probably one of the uh, biggest territories that this world has ever seen. Um, there have been some really good other ones like Florida and Georgia, but Memphis sticks out for obviously the reasons that uh, I don't believe we've spoke about yet, and that is Andy Kaufman. Yes, we have. Well, we we brushed on it, but uh, yeah, we brushed across you know, it. But he has been brought up. Um, you know that that guy. He's I don't know. He, he helped you put Lawler on the map. <laughs> he yeah, I'm surprised. Was, I'm surprised you know who Andy Kaufman is, Sean. <laughs> and Lawler was on on the map um, ten years. Uh, before in Memphis, and basically that was a little dessert uh, because back then wrestling was reasonable, so it really didn't matter, and it didn't really help uh, Memphis. Uh, Waller drew a lot more money in Memphis with Bill Dundee and with Joe LaDuke and with Jimmy Valiant and with so many more than he did with Andy Kaufman, even though that was good. That got Lawler mainstream publicity. However, as far as business in the territory, uh, you know, it's certainly, I get agitated a little bit when people identify Memphis with that, and it was great. I'm not making light of it, but there was so much more stuff that was much mm-hmm. better and lasted much longer. And unfortunately, Andy passed away at a really early age, and that was yeah. sad. But, you know, the whole thing was a big deal, but it wasn't the biggest deal. Right. If uh, yeah, if anything, like you say, it gave it gave it 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 brought it brought Jerry from a you know regional superstar to all of a sudden getting national recognition. I mean, uh, we you know everybody everybody who was alive at that time remembers the uh, the coffee incident on David Letterman and that. Yep. Um, you know, which now. Um, Actually, up here, up here, Randy, um, when when Jerry when Jerry came up and uh, did some work for Vern, um, 
Andy Andy actually Andy actually uh worked as a uh you know, a quote unquote manager um uh, for uh uh Kenny Patera and uh the late uh, Jerry Blackwell. And so they and so they and so they worked matches uh that uh um Jerry was with and I can't remember who that um who Vern had him partnered up with at the at the time up there. But um you know, that that definitely that definitely did, but like you say, it's you know, it's more the idols, the Dundies, uh the Fargos and you know, those guys, those are the ones that made the legend of Jerry Lawler that then, you know, the the coffin situation helped turn you know, from turn into you know, into into a national type of situation. And the legend of Jerry the legend uh, of Jerry Lawler started in nineteen seventy three. Way back in 1973, oh. when Jim White <laughs> was the stacking partner, Waller and White with manager Sam Bass, we, this territory was mm. used to big, big, mean, nasty heels like the interns, the Von Bronners, Don and Al Green, and others. And they had mm-hmm. a, a fast, quick, smart-ass, cowardly team, and Jim White and Jerry Waller, and they did record business. Then, in 1974, which was the best, I did a podcast, com slash hails, I did a podcast <clears throat> on the year 1974. No one singular city, of, to my knowledge, did the weekly business that Memphis, Tennessee uh, did uh, in the year 1974. I'll give you these uh, stats. And in the year uh, 1974, it was July. In July, 1974. Before Madison Square Garden drew attendance for wrestling at Madison Square Garden, July 1974 was right at 16,000 people. Do you know how many people bought tickets for the Mid South Coliseum cards in Memphis, Tennessee? Remember, 16,000 people at Madison Square Garden in Memphis, Tennessee, the month of July in 1974. You want to guess? Twenty thousand? Uh, sixty. Sixty thousand. Wow. Whoa. Because New wow. York New York New York was the population base big time. Memphis by that time had probably five hundred thousand people. But the difference was Madison Square Garden they just ran it once a month. In Memphis we ran every week. In the month of July nineteen seventy four, in all fairness, there was five Mondays in the month. Five Mondays in the month. But it was phenomenal. 74 was great. So, again, we can talk about the Hulk Hogan's that came in here in 79. We can talk about Ken Patera, who came in later, and Jesse Ventura. And we can talk about the Harley Races and the Jack Briscoes. And we can talk uh, talk about the Terry Funks and the Dory Funks and the Nick Bonkwinkles and the Rick Flairs and on and on and on. They came in as world champions, or they came in as big stars. Dick the Bruiser had a run. The Sheik had a run. So many people had a run, especially in that 1974 uh, period. But through Jackie Fargo, through Ricky Gibson, through tag team matches, Lawler and White against Tojo Yamamoto and Jerry Jarrett, Jackie and Rough House Fargo, Tommy Gilbert and Eddie Marlin, by the time 1974, 
four happened and the bruiser was coming in and the world champion was coming in and everybody else was coming in, Jerry Lawler was already made. In Memphis, Tennessee, this man was uh, putting more people in here. When you talk Memphis, Tennessee, uh, you, this is an old saying. You think of uh, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Jerry Lawler, and Bill Dundee, and in that, in no particular order, because at times, I guarantee you, Lawler and Dundee in Memphis, Tennessee, had more eyes on them, more ears on them, than Elvis Presley did in his own hometown. That's just facts, Jack. That's not me making it up. That's not me doing a wrestling pro- promotion. This is me just passionate and fired up, and the self-proclaimed ambassador of Memphis wrestling basically finds myself not in this instance, but listening to some other podcast with some other big shots, blasting Memphis wrestling, saying Memphis shit or Memphis crap, and I don't know if we can cuss, but you can't stop me from cussing while yeah, I get go fired ahead. up. Oh, and gosh, I, darn it. I, I'm <laughs> fired up. Well, right, there was, right now, there, oh, we're setting the we're setting the record state record straight right now. No matter what anybody says, I don't care if it's Ron Fuller, I don't care if it's Bruce Pritchard or Eric Bischoff, anybody else. The person that sold more tickets, wrestling wise or any other kind of wise, than Memphis, Tennessee, is Jerry Lawler. Case closed. Yes, excellent. And uh, one of the people that was influential around Memphis, Tennessee is another legendary wrestling family. I want to talk about continental championship wrestling and the Fullers. Okay. Um, Ron, Ron, Buddy Fuller, of course, the father of Ron, Ron and Robert in 1977, when Jerry Jarrett broke away from Nick was partners with Jerry Jarrett. Before that, in 74, the end of 74, in a time period where Lawler was banished. We talked about that with Dundee. End of 74, Jerry Jarrett brought Ron Fuller in. Robert Fuller was here as a babyface. Ron Fuller came in as a heel, and Ron drew some money. Not record business at all, but real good, strong business and was a strong heel. Robert, great babyface in the 70s. There's a clip on YouTube, Louisville, Kentucky. Lawler and Robert Fuller ended up way up in the bleachers, and Lawler took a great fall down to the, to the floor. That's just classic, and it's available in YouTube. Robert's great. Then when Barnes & Dundee came in the mix and were getting the best of Robert, uh, in other words, Ron wouldn't come help his brother, but the first time Barnes & Dundee and the third Australian Johnny Gray, it was three three on two, and Ron's dad was getting beat up. He sat back there and watched his brother got, get beat up uh, for weeks, but as soon as they touched his dad, man, the big six-foot-nine big guy Ron Fuller, Southern champion, hated guy, came clear to house, and they did some real good business, not sellout business, but real good business, the Fullers uh, against Barnes, Dundee, and Johnny Gray. I don't know Ron too much personally, you know, my real good friend, the king of Keysport, Bo James, is, is helping Ron a lot as Ron uh, is covering Southeastern Championship Wrestling on his podcast, the Studcast, and Bo is helping him with information and that sort of thing. Ron and Bo talks a lot. And I've just talked to him, met Ron just a few times, but Robert Fuller, I've traveled 
uh, with him and uh, back in 86, 87. Me and Robert, I was invited over his to his house one time for Thanksgiving meal, and I'm not going to tell you what all we did because some of the stuff we did, it was Jimmy Golden, Robert Fuller, and Sylvia, Robert's wife at the time. We did some stuff, folks, a little firm them stuff that not particularly legal, but California probably is now. But anyway, that's beside <laughs> the point. I love Robert Fuller. Um, I was a big fan of uh, of Tennessee Lee and and uh, Colonel Robert Parker. I grew up in the '90s, um, so I, I got to watch a lot of this Continental Championship wrestling and and uh, you know Memphis wrestling in the later years, other than the USWA that we occasionally get on television. Um, but I mean, you talked about another groundbreaking roster. I'm looking at some of the alumni here. You've got Les Thatcher. You've got Dirty Dick Slater. I mean, these are guys. Wow. You probably have a very young Kevin Sullivan at this point. Uh, This would have been before Kevin would have started any kind of booking for WCW and possibly even down in Georgia or Florida when he took over as the booker down there. As I said earlier, my first memories of Kevin in Memphis as a rookie and 71 also around I think I'm right on the years 81 82 uh, Kevin came in was a part of the first family team with Wayne Ferris who ended up as the honky tonk man there's just so many Hogan started here Undertaker started here Austin was here Cactus Jack was here I can go on and on and on and I'm forgetting some uh, people but it's uh, endless and, and you know I'm a big lover and of history and the territories and and so I read up on on the AWA and read up on uh, Dick the Breezers Indy and Wilbur Snyder's promotion of course Watts and Georgia and Florida and the Texas promotions Portland um, LA and uh, and all in between but I will debate on anybody per capita because this was a small not a lot of huge cities small capitals and running weekly towns, Memphis every week, Louisville every week, Evansville, Indiana every uh, week, Nashville, Tennessee every week, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Tupelo, Mississippi every week, Lexington, Kentucky at the 20,000-seat Rupp Arena once a month. It goes on and on and on and on. I'll match uh, per capita the actual ticket sales to anybody. I'll match the TV5 Memphis ratings to anybody. You're talking uh, 70 shares, 70 shares, 25, 30 ratings every week mm. in the mid-70s. Wow. Um, different different land, landscape. TV's different now. Impossible to do now. I know that. There were three stations in the market, maybe four back then. Uh, but at the point, point I'm telling you, Oh, I said this earlier, Memphis Wrestling born, Memphis Wrestling bred. When I die, I'll be Memphis Wrestling dead. I'm proud to say that. That's great. All right. Why don't we talk about the Fargo Fabulous ones? Jackie Fargo, sellout business with his brother Don Fargo, Madison Square Garden in New York against Argentina, Rocca, and Perez, they had a right. They were banned from New York forever. They came to Tennessee 
S. Hills. Don ended up leaving. Jackie stayed for 40 years. Huge stars. The fabulous Fargo Brothers. Jackie, Don, Roughhouse. Jackie became my first favorite wrestler. Became the hero. Uh, he took over the where Billy Wicks, or old 50s big feud between Spuddy Monroe and Billy Wicks. Jackie Fargo became the guy. Jerry Lawler took over after after him, and Jerry Lawler's still the king of the town, the king of the throne. He's ruling the roost still today. But the Fargos were special. Then in 1981 or 1982, just top of my head, and I can't remember exactly, but uh, we were babyface short. Jerry Jarrett came up with a great idea, had Jackie Fargo introduce these guys as guys we recycled, Steve Kern and Stan Lane. Called them the fabulous ones, and then we had about two years of record business with the with the fabulous ones, Steve Kern and Stan Lane. Jackie would come make shots, be in the corner, do six man tag against people like the Sheep Herders, against the Moon Dogs, against the Grapplers, against so many uh, tag teams, and the fabulous ones with Jackie Fargo drew a ton of money, a ton of money. Amazing man! Think, think that about, think about that, guys. Think about, think about those, about those teams that Randy just named. Okay, you guys have seen all those teams. I actually worked with the Sheep Herders when later on when they were the Bushwhackers, and that, you know, I mean, this all, this all comes out of one. Area, one territory, Memphis, Tennessee. Folks, this is this is uh, an amazing story. If there if there ever was one, you know, think about it, think about it. You know, I mean, my gosh. So, Katie, you're on a roll. Right. Keep going, dear. I'm. I'm. No, just just give me a minute. Keep you keep going. Just give me a minute. Uh, yeah. Actually, we're going to take our song break and we're going to come back. Okay. Oh yeah, uh, it is. It, it is top of the thing. hour. You're right. So, uh, so Randy, Randy you're on Skype. So you room. just one at a time. So you take Randy into the green room, please. All right. All okay. right. You got it. Give me some beer. So. <laughs> hey, we'll be right back in about four and a half beer minutes. And minutes. Beer and Pernal Durham. Beer and Pernal Durham. All right. Okay. We'll be right back.
this Saturday night at the Northeast Philly International Guard Armory. Craptastic Wrestling presents a non-star-studded car of unexplainable matches featuring the Mid-Afternoon Express versus Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy in a Falls Count Nowhere match. Jerry Idol versus Austin Waller in a fully empty arena match. Our main event, Arnold Ziffel Jr. versus Oliver Wendell Douglas IV in a Fans Bring the Steel Cage parts match. Admission is just $1 because that's all this crap is worth. That's Craptastic Wrestling this Saturday. Doors open at 6 p.m. Matches start whenever we feel like it. Be there! Tax Refund Promotions presents Professional Wrestling, a show that will not actually happen. Starring pictures of former WWE, Impact, and Ring of Honor stars that we're going to put on our poster just to lure you suckers into the building, even though they will not actually be appearing. Featuring the pictures of the real wrestlers who will just be local jabronis that we're getting for a hot dog and a handshake. All this will take place inside of the neighborhood bar that we're getting for the cost of a case of beer. And the ring will be a homemade wooden ring because no, we can't afford a real actual safe wrestling ring. Liability insurance, you must be crazy. We can't afford that either. I'm not getting that much of a refund check back. All we can really afford is the beer and the posters. So, Mommy, get my tax refund check ready and get it signed over to me because I want to hurry up and play wrestling promoter. Tax refund wrestling not coming soon to a location near you. Hi, this is Chance Prophet. You're listening to the Pro Wrestling Roundtable on Blog Talk Radio. Well, thank you very much, Chase. I am Sadistic Sean David, along with my two co-hosts. The of Wrestling Referee, Steve Kane. Uh, I'm the only girl on air. I'm so lonely. Jess Blue, uh, you suck. And hey, we are Katie. here. We are hey, here. Don't interrupt me. We are here with Randy Hales from the Memphis Wrestling Territory Days, and we're going to talk more about Memphis Wrestling and just how great it was. Um, talk to us a little bit about the how important USWA was. Well, actually, well, you know, it went from being just wrestling to championship wrestling to the championship wrestling association to in the 90s USWA it was all the same same thing the the big difference was when the USWA was sold and then canceled and I opened up Power Pro uh, Wrestling 98 to 2001 but USWA was you know the national expansion WCW and WWE was tough the the last few years of the USWA was was tough because we were going with the same model, live event type of thing, and it was tough at the same time, but there was periods. We did a hell of a Smoky Mountain USWA program in um, 95 and 94. We did a great Monday Night Memories uh, 
event that drew 9,000 people to the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, the very first Memphis Wrestling Hall of Fame, and that was a part of the USWA, but basically, yeah, it was just all Memphis, all Memphis. Um, And then another big thing that would be born years later in Nashville, which you have on your website, um, is about TNA and the birth of NWA TNA. Yeah, I'm I'm selling that book, The Development of TNA by Jerry Jarrett, a real good perspective from Jerry about that time period, the start and the birth of 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 um, TNA wrestling. And obviously, I was a, I was 20 year. I'm a little getting a bit of a rebirth and and more relevant thanks to Jim Cornette getting me on his show uh, several months ago. I'm more relevant now. People's calling like like you guys. Uh, from Wrestling Authority calling me. I'm getting all kinds of calls, so I'm more relevant. But in the TNA days, I was not around whatsoever. But that book, Jerry Jarrett's book of the development of TNA, as well as his autobiography, The Best of Time, that's all available at RandyHellsMemphisWrestling.com. And that's donations from Jerry Jarrett to my website uh, and Eddie Marlin. Uh, his father-in-law and longtime Memphis wrestling legend and mainstay uh, gets the proceeds of all the Jerry Jarrett books. Mm. So, all right. Well, now let's, okay, so let's talk about cause some of the voices that uh, um, helped make the um, promotion. Uh of course, everybody, when you talk about Memphis wrestling, Lance Russell. I mean, well, Lance, Lance was Lance was the Lance was the king when it came when it came to it, and that. Um, then there was also the uh, the wrestling the wrestling announcing weatherman Dave Brown. I mean, you know, some of some of the guys that uh, were behind the mic. Uh, doing the commentary did a lot to get the, to get the uh, storylines and the angles over and that. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about um, the, the commentators that helped make Memphis wrestling what it was to, to those people that uh, used to watch every Saturday morning on TV. Channel 13 Wrestling in the early 70s when I first started watching wrestling. I can tell you today, this is 2019, I'm 57 years old, so this was 47 years ago at 11 o'clock on Saturday mornings on Channel 13. I'll tell you exactly at 11 o'clock what happened. Back in the day in television, and uh, besides Steve, I'm the, probably most of the people that, that's on this show today or quite a bit younger than us. You might not remember the jingles uh, in in television, especially local television back in the day. A lot of the programs started with jingles. And I'm, I know I'm in the Music City, USA, sure Nashville area, but I'm telling you, I'm no singer, but I'm going to try it right now because the wrestling show on Channel 13 from 1959 to 1979 started with a jingle. It's America's favorite sport on WHPQ television then. 
right after they panned the studio of about 100 people in a TV studio, and then they went to the announcers. Then for 30 years, we heard the voice, the calm voice of Uncle Lance, and he would say, hello again, everybody, Lance Russell, Dave Brown, right along ringside, all ready to go with another big week of studio wrestling coming to you live from the studios of Channel 13, WHBQ-TV, 467 South Highland in Memphis, Tennessee, or in 1977, hello again, everybody, that's Russell Day Brown, right along ringside, the studios of WMC-TV, 1960 Union, Memphis, Tennessee. Lance Russell, Dave Brown, two beloved figures. I can't tell you how important they were. They were trusted. Dave Brown went on to be the most uh, recognized television figure in Memphis television, period. Credible Mm. as a weatherman and credible as a wrestling announcer. They were phenomenal, a big part of, of the success. Uh, of Memphis Wrestling, a huge, huge part was Lance Russell and Dave Brown. And I can uh, think, unfortunately, Lance uh, passed away in 2017. Yeah. Dave Brown's retired now, but he um, talked to him from time to time. He's still kicking, and his wife, Margaret, doing great. And they're just the, the greatest wrestling announcing tandem in the history. And I told you how they opened the show, and for uh, 30, 40 years, the way they closed it was Lance Russell saying, for Dave Brown, Lance Russell saying, bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> heard those words. Wow. Hello again, everybody, and bye-bye, everybody, every yep. single oh Saturday for decades. And, wow. And there was another wow. legendary announcer that came out of Memphis <laughs> territory that would later go on to be a big deal at another big-time wrestling company, and that was none other than Mr. Gordon Soley. Yeah, and, you know, Gordon wasn't, uh, Gordon started his career championship wrestling from four to four, Eddie Graham, then became known worldwide for for Georgia Championship Wrestling. Then at the point uh Vince McMahon took over the TBS 605 time slot, and Ole Anderson was uh, in trouble and started working with Memphis. And for just a period of weeks, maybe a month at the most, uh, Gordon uh, solely did come do a few TVs uh, in Memphis. But to be honest, um, this was probably, I would guess, 84, something like that. But uh, I can tell you, I never once met Gordon Soul. It was a situation mm. Gordon Gordon got heat with the audience. Wasn't his fault. The audience it wasn't Lance Russell and Dave Brown. It was like Lance Russell and Dave Brown was absolute family and I'm not knocking Gordon because I love watching him on championship wrestling from Florida and Georgia Championship Wrestling. But me and everybody else wanted to see Lance Russell and Dave Brown. And those few mm-hmm. weeks Gordon would Act like and Lance just let it happen because he knew it wouldn't happen long. He Gordon would be the lead announcer. He would do the open, the close, the interviews. Dave was relegated, demoted to the ring announcer uh, at that point, and Lance not saying much. Uh, you know, it was one of the, in my opinion, it's the worst period of time, announced quality wise, in the history of the television show because Lance uh, and and Gordon. Um, just didn't click to get 
that are one of my least uh-huh. favorite, one of my least favorite time periods ever in Memphis wrestling. Mm, okay, okay. So now, you know, okay. Let's let's talk about this. How did a weatherman wind up becoming the other part of a commentary, a wrestling commentary team? I mean, that's got to be probably one of the craziest pairings and one of the craziest stories that, I mean, in a business where crazy is the norm, the idea that, okay, it, that I, a TV weatherman, yeah, go ahead, please. I can answer that real quick. He was, it's real simple, real simple. He was a wrestling announcer before he ever was the weather person. He was doing wrestling. Really? Hey, absolutely. He started, he's from Trenton, Tennessee. He started doing um, radio in Trenton and moved uh, to Memphis and and was uh, WNCTV or WHBQ on radio station. And Dave worked for WHBQ Radio AM 560, as a matter of fact, with the other great legendary George Klein, the jeeker in your speaker, one of Elvis's best friends was at that station. So was Dave Brown. Lance Russell was the program director. The wrestling thing was a well for for Lance was two days a week. He'd do Monday nights and he'd do Saturday mornings. But um, he was the program director. Dave was a disc jockey and a booth announcer. And so Lance went to Dave and said, Dave said, you can help your career along if you get some TV exposure. And I need my sidekick, my co-host is leaving. I need a co-host and it will really help your career. So he got on the wrestling show. He got over. Then Lance had an idea for another television show. They had 11 o'clock in the mornings every day, money and show movies. Dave was the host of that program. So Dave was on the wrestling program, was on dialing for dollars in the 70s, back in everything. He'd do weather. He'd do news. He'd do sports. He would do everything. Then as time evolved uh, in the 70s, they went with the weather forecaster. So so Dave got that spot. Um, and uh, so he was absolutely established as a wrestling announcer and a dialing for dollars host before he ever got to wrestling. Then, in 1977, when Jerry Jarrett took control um, from Nick Lewis and Roy Welch of the promotion and the TV had to move Channel 5, one of the things that broke up the deal is Jerry Jarrett said to the television station general um, manager, he says, I can get you Jerry Lawler. I can get you Lance Russell. And also... Every single day of the week, I can get you Dave Brown as your weather. Channel 5 was last in the ratings in the market. They made a deal with Dave Brown and the wrestling show. Obviously, Dave would be on the weather, and he did for decades afterwards. And so without Dave Brown doing the weather and without the wrestling show, the show was last in the market. Then for 25 years, a good 25 years, thanks a lot to wrestling, but every day, thanks to Dave Brown for decades, number one show in the back, the market. Nobody thought a thing, a thing about it, Steve. And they, they didn't think a thing, thing about whether one day wrestling the next. It was not a factor. And again, Dave was wrestling before he was weather. 
My gosh. Wow. Wow. See, now that's that's something that I had never known. So you you've def, you've definitely you've definitely taught me something tonight, Randy. I, I appreciate that. My gosh. Wow. Wow. So um now let's let's go ahead. Let's let's talk a little bit more about the technicals itself and about the idea of uh of uh booking and that because uh I booked myself, um I have for many years. Um you've been you've been a booker, you helped uh you helped Jerry with the book and that. Let's talk about Steve, the the concept can I, yeah of Can I cut in here and ask one question before you get started on that on the booking concept? All right, please. Uh, All right. Yeah, go ahead. Um, we have had several people on, like Mr. Bill Barons and uh, Sir Mo from Men on a Mission, um, and just some really great people on. Uh, Steve and I run a promotion together here in Illinois. What is your ideal perfect number of matches to have on a card? You know, I don't have a ideal uh, number. It It depends on what you think you're going to do business-wise, I think I always believe that the perfect uh, time period for a wrestling show, a live event wrestling show, the best bet is two hours, two and a half at the most. But, you know, we're basic. I hadn't booked anything. Well, that's a lie. I've done a couple of the smaller towns around the area recently. That's just playing. That's not serious business. Uh, but, you know, I always shot for two hours. Uh, and and then, like in a smaller town, I used to like like to have four or five in Memphis. You know, um, like to, most weeks have seven matches. And then in the summer when we're doing a blockbuster type of business, um, I, I would have a few cards in the summertime with seven, eight, nine matches. You know, it, it's no, no steadfast rule at all. Okay, I was just curious. So basically, what you're saying, as long as you can keep them entertained while they're there, and they go home happy, that's the most important thing. As long as you're not doing like, um, there was very few times that it was my, it was, and it's a different era now in 2019. So it certainly is, Certainly and I is. Would book, I, I would book different now than I did back then. But the last thing I wanted uh, for a weekly basis in a weekly town, the last. The last thing I wanted them to do is go home happy. The last thing I wanted them to do is go home happy. I wanted them when they were leaving, and I used to to, uh, to go uh, around and try to be in a position where they couldn't see me, but I could hear and see see them. And if they walked out, say those SOBs, I this that, I'll never be back. They'll never get my money again. If they were telling me. They'd never be back again if they were telling me we wouldn't gonna get their money. If they were telling me they were so mad, they were saying all this stuff. I knew we were doing the right thing. So you know, to me, it's about drawing money. And and back in those days, and even with me watching wrestling now, um, funny means no money type of thing. So uh, we we wanted them mad at those hills and hot and concerned about those baby faces. We weren't concerned. Um, about them leaving in a good mood. Mm. Okay. That makes okay. a lot of sense to me. That actually makes some damn good sense to me now that you, you've you explained it a little bit more because if you give them everything they want, they're not coming back the next time. 
if you give them bits and pieces and have a cliffhanger with a heel going over it in the main event, and you've got them so mad that they're willing to pay to come back and see you, you've done business right because you've got them to come back and buy that next ticket. And, you know, it's just different now because uh, obviously the secrets are out and uh, that is sort of thing, but you can do, you can do uh, situations now to flat, to, to flat out make them uh, believe, and I absolutely believe that. So, you know, if, if I had a local television uh, now, I would have basically uh, the same uh, philosophy, basically the same philosophy uh, back uh, back then uh, than, than I, I do uh, here today. So I hope that makes sense uh, to you. And a lot of my uh, comparing stuff uh, will, will be comparing uh, to, to go back in, in the days. And obviously when I was doing it, and things have changed now. But that's, you asked for my philosophy, and that's absolutely, uh, that's absolutely what I would be uh, be looking for. I'm looking for the right kind of heat on the right people. I wouldn't. I'd be very concerned if the people were mad leaving at the promotion uh, and and thought they got cheated, didn't get their money's worth. But if they're leaving mad at the right people, mad at those hills, that's the whole go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. you don't you don't have that a lot in wrestling anymore these days. Sadly, everybody you know everybody wants to be politically correct, and and politically correct wrestling is what's killing the business. Well, wrestling, yeah, I, wrestling was I, never supposed to be politically correct. It was supposed to be a form of entertainment. It's what it's always been. And, and, and you know, honestly, yeah. I don't mean I I don't mean to 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 argue with the the way that that wrestling was uh, was set up was was never to be a form of entertainment. It, it you were trying to present a simulated sport. It was presented as mm-hmm. a sport, and obviously, of course, sports are entertainment. Now the lines blurred. It's all yeah. different. But however, right. I didn't hear the word. Uh, if if you in a dressing room. Uh, in a, in back even in in the early eighties, certainly in the seventies, if you said the word "show," said I hope we do a good show tonight, the freaking boys would beat you up. Oh, or the or the promoter, and that's no bullshit. That is the absolute truth. It's a different ball game, and you know certainly I'm doing yeah. something now that I wouldn't ever have done uh, thirty years ago because honestly the business was protected. People felt that uh, it was in their mind. Uh, maybe never happened. Maybe it did. I don't know. Y'all been up around Chicago and the mob and all that stuff. Who knows what happened? But but people were really yeah. worried that if they exposed the business, they'd be killed. And that's not no BS. That's true. People worried that. Worried about that. Well, and we don't have that kind of fear of God put into people that are in the business in this day and age. That's a sad thing. Um, we don't we don't have those morals of policing the business. I'm going to go into a little brief story here. We had two individuals here in Illinois that we had to pretty much 
blacklist from the business that Steve and I had a hand in because one of them beat the crap out of his wife and the other one sexually assaulted a female in the locker room. And people are like, Sean, you don't, you, you can't police the business like this. I said, oh, yes, I can. Because if you were to go back in the 50s or 60s, uh, you, you would see that the business was policed that bad, if not worse. If you, if you would have wow. got caught in the 50s or 60s beating the crap out of your wife, you probably would have ended up in a ditch somewhere if the boys found out about it. Am I right or wrong, Randy? Thank goodness I never had to deal with any of those situations. Because <laughs> back then, back then, to be honest with you, uh, you didn't hear about not just in wrestling. You didn't you didn't hear about that kind of thing happening any place. Right. Honestly, you didn't hear about football players or baseball players or the message. Just didn't hear well, about I'm, it. That's the point. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it happened. I'm sure it happened. That's, that's, but it's yeah, sure, sure that's what I was trying to say. You just didn't our, hear about it. You just right. didn't hear about it. It happened. Um, you know, because that, look, to me, those are two cardinal sins. If you put your hands on your wife or a woman in the or, re- your and you're in the wrestling, or your kid in the wrestling business, you're out. That's it. It should be common, common sense that this is a thing that is bad for business. This is a thing that is going to affect asses coming in my seat. This is a thing that if it's found out about, it's going to ruin me as a company. And nobody gets it. We have promoters out here that are like, oh, it'll be okay. No, it won't be okay. You are are shooting. You might as well take the gun out of the gun locker and shoot yourself in the foot if you're going to do something like that, have somebody like that working for you. And that's obviously a thing that's really big in in the media and and deal with all the time. But honest to God, that's just not stuff. Very few people, and especially the Memphis territory that I remember, he had very few arrests. You know, like anything else, you had people drinking, you had people in drugs, and that sort sort of thing. It's wonder, including me, half of us aren't dead with all the silly, <laughs> crazy, stupid stuff that we did. And honestly, in the, power, in, in the power pro days from '98 to 2001, and uh, this was at a point where I was Mr. Businessman, Mr. Owner, so I was completely behaving. But but I fired uh, people for much less reasons than stuff I did every night back in the 80s. You know, it's just a, just part of life. That's fair or not. And it wasn't fair, but I did. Because I finally, I didn't come to my senses until I was about 37. Heck, uh I had a three-year successful, one straight time, three years, that's a long time, by yourself booking a, a weekly territory, running six, seven nights a, a, a week. And I, I guarantee you, we did real good business, uh, and I can't re- remember half of it. And I'm thinking now, man, we did real good business, best business the company had in seven, eight years. What would it have done if I'd have been straight every day, you know? Exactly. Um, I want to ask you about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You, you're friends with Jim Cornette. Were you down okay. uh, part of that? What's the question? I heard the Cornette part. Was I what about yeah. Smoky Mountain? Were you a part of Smoky Mountain at all or help Jim with any of it? 
No. Uh, I, I mean, in, indirectly, uh, I'll tell you the story. Jimmy started Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I did a Smoky Mountain invasion of uh, of USWA Wrestling when I was booking in 95. That drew a lot of money. Jimmy uh, did, we did reverse roles. Mark Curtis, Brian Hildebrand was was the referee there, evil referee and evil manager uh, here, and he was the heel here. As the baby faces up there, uh, you know, I was uh, I was the the heel. I did one TV and about three shots for Cornette, but I had a territory to run here, and we ran more than uh, than them, and uh, and it just wasn't feasible for me to be there. Uh, a lot, and they had some people that I felt that we had before, like the Rock and Roll and Buddy Landale and, and Tracy Smothers and various people that could can you use in. So, so on a, the one TV I went, Cornette was basically going solo. Got there, rode with Tracy Smothers. As a matter of fact, a little Burnham Durham on the way, and we had a great trip. And Cornette told me he said. Said Randy, said I usually have to do this all on my uh, own. Said, will you help with this? And gave me his notes, and so so I kind of assisted him a little bit. And 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 for the most part, uh, in that run, we used rock and roll and different people. Cornette, we just used about about uh, tw- twice. But from a from a Memphis Wrestling USWA side, you know, it was all the ideas were coming to coming. Coming from me out of my my mind, and most, if not all, of, all of his ideas, I just helped him communicate his ideas. Once he was there, it was all the Smoky Mountain was all a vision of Jim Cornette, and the USWA was a vision at that point of me, except for Jerry Lawler's matches. And obviously, as owner of the company, he had input uh, on his own stuff. But Jerry Lawler kind of molded me in, so he uh, he didn't have a lot of faith in a lot of bookers. Uh, at all, people that had booked before, but he had a lot of faith in me. Now, let's talk about somebody uh, that um, got their start in Memphis, if if memory serves me correct, but uh, he got some big paydays from Vince, but when he lost his legs a few years ago, Vince was not there to save him, and that would be Kamala. Uh, Kamala, I believe the year was like 82. That. It was a Jerry Waller creation, one of the best uh, cre- uh, creations uh, ever. Very successful, drew money here, went to Mid-South Wrestling, Bill Watts, a lot of money, went to um, World Class Wrestling, a lot of money, went to Vince, a lot of money. And to the best of my knowledge, he was uh, paid a, a lot of money. Now, Vince, I was talking about, I'm not going to speculate about something I don't know about. And I just know of people that's been sick and have had issues that the WWE has been very good to. You know, I know those things. Right. things. What he did do or didn't do with with Kamala, I just uh, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any idea of the dynamic um, here. When Kamala was here, I was a kid, basically wasn't in the office. Uh, yet I would bring him in later years in from time to time. I never had an issue with him, and I don't think he ever ever had an issue with us. He was paid good here. What he did anywhere else, I would just be 
speculating, and, and I just well, I can't do that. Randy. I understand. Uh, Kamala, I met in 2008 before he lost his legs. Uh, would have been some of his final appearances before that tragedy of him losing both legs happened, and it was just so sad because oh, yeah, very you, sad. You, can, you meet Kamala, and he is one of the most friendliest men you can ever meet. Um, he, he wouldn't, you know, the gimmick on TV that you see uh, would not uh, make you believe that he's the most friendliest of guys, but one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. And Steve, I think you've worked with Kamala a couple times too, yeah. haven't you? For Tampa? Yes, I have. Uh, yes, I have. I was, I was so amazed. I mean, you know, like you say, the TV image, oh, uh, and that, uh, like, uh, just like I talked about uh, last week with uh, King Kong Bundy. Oh, the TV image was this, you know, big guy that uh, didn't, you know, obviously didn't speak a word of English or anything like that, and would roar and all these kind of things. But then when you get to the man and you're in the locker room, the guy is as soft-spoken and gentle as, as they come. Yeah. that, uh, you know, it's, an amazing, excellent gentleman. That's usually how it is. That's usually, you know, I mean, whether, whether it's an act or not, the quiet ones are the ones you got to watch out for. Okay. <laughs> and, yes. And, and the little ones like me. But... I mean, that's the whole thing, you know, that the people who never have the co- have the confidence in life, when they get into the ring, they get to be anybody they want to be, whether it be heel, face, which whatever floats their boat, you know. So it's it's a relief for them, some of them. Uh, another one that came out of Memphis that I got to meet that I was working uh... – I worked for a promoter that booked a whole lot of Legends uh, shows. And the other one that I got to meet that was pretty famous down in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, he's actually from that area, a guy by the name of Coco Beware, who came out with a bird. I love Coco. We all know that. <laughs> uh, I love oh, Coco as well. Traveled a uh, lot with Coco. He started his career in Memphis awesome. in 78, had a heck of a run. He was inducted into the Memphis Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2017. Coco is just a great, great guy, and I try to talk to him as often as I can. He, uh, I sat in on a motivational speaking that he did at the show, or he did a Q&A, and I just sat there in amazement because the knowledge that just poured out of that guy, you had to be a sun sponge to just sit there and soak it all up. Because if you actually paid attention to listen to everything he said, you learned something at the end of the uh, discussion. It, it, Coco was yeah. a very kind man. Right, I love Coco. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, next time, next time you talk to him, Randy, tell him I said hi. It's been a while. Um, I used to. You know, I don't have his number now, unfortunately, with uh, moves and phone switches and that. Uh, I've lost the number, but. Uh, Oh, uh, Coco and I used to talk regularly on the phone. He was a mainstay up here in the Chicago area after he'd uh, after he'd come off the TV and that. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my favorite matches that I worked was him and King Kong Bundy, um, and that one that one was a lo- that one was a load of fun. It was one where uh, Bundy accidentally ripped one of uh, Coco's suspenders on his on his. Uh, 
pants and that. It was, you know, it was absolutely hilarious. Great stuff. Great stuff. Coco's an awesome guy. Super guy. So, yeah. Um, I bet. Well, I'm let's, why, don't we, why don't we turn, why don't we turn it to, you know, the favorite people that you dealt with. As you know, as a as uh, as promoter, as announcer, um, manager, you know those guys, those guys that just you know stick in Randy Hale's head as far as you know. Hey, I I always love working with so and so because of this or that. Kind of you know, kind of go ahead and and uh, you know do a little stream of consciousness for us for a bit. You know that's. I think we don't have time because I enjoyed working with everybody from Jackie Fargo to Stan Lane and Steve Kern to Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express to Jimmy Hart, of course, the mainstays of Memphis Wrestling, like the Jerry Lars and the Bill Dundees and the Desmond Tells and the the Jeff Jarrett. I loved um, the uh, the beginning, to watching the beginning of a lot of people's career from Mick Foley to Dwayne Johnson and um, 1996 for the USWA and and uh, work with them. I can tell you a funny story of, uh, about that. We, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne was booked in Kennett, Missouri on a Friday night in 1996, and I normally didn't go to a Friday night towns just to do my last minute retouching the television for the next morning. About midnight that Friday night, I got a phone call uh, from... Jamie Dundee and Wolfie D, my tag team that we had over as, uh, as PG-13, and they called me and they said, Randy, mm-hmm. do you have do you have uh, Dwayne on television in the morning? I hadn't seen him since he was a kid. Probably I hadn't seen him since he's 15 years old. Uh, but Jim Ross had called and 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 we were helping out. We didn't have an official developmental deal, but we would help out with talent. And so Jim asked. Uh, to send him in and wanted him, Vince McMahon wanted him called Flex Cavana, uh, which I thought was, thought was a stupid idea because I wanted to call him uh, whatever. I wanted to make sure he was the son of the rock, and I had immediate ideas that I thought would draw money to have Hills jump him and bring his dad in for the first time in years, and we would draw money. We couldn't do that because mm-hmm. we couldn't acknowledge who he uh, was but I remember that night I was woke up and asked if he was on TV. I said, "Yeah, he's on TV." And they, they, they both guys said, "said Well, you might want to change your TV and take him off." I said, "Why?" And they said to me, their exact quote was, "He's the driven shit, and he will never make it in this business." They told me that on a Friday night, and it advised me. Uh, to take him off, and I said, "Well, who did he work with?" And uh, they said, "Oh, they changed the cards. The local promoter, Buddy Wayne, changed the cards because somebody didn't show up, so it wasn't who you had him booked against. Because I had him booked against Tony Falk, uh, that I knew mm-hmm. Tony would have a hell of a match with him. They're a great match with him. Tony, Tony was a veteran and was good at that. That so they said Grizzly Chips and take him off TV. I said said no, and I had him booked the next day against the veteran. I don't know if it was Tony or somebody else. I don't remember that. But I said, said did anybody talk with him 
before the match, I knew separate dressing room, and nobody did, and that sort of thing. I said, I'll leave him on uh, TV, and I said, he'll be fine. And, and it was the right, right match with the right person laying out the match. As I spent a lot of time on it, and it wasn't a long match, two or three minutes. And he was green. I mean, maybe his first TV uh, match, and obviously he got over quicker in Memphis than he got over uh, at the first of the Rock, Rocky Mavia thing. Obviously, mm. great memory mm-hmm. of him. Great memories oh, later wow. on. Great memories later. Oh, I can let me tell one other story where I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm getting away from the list of names, but it's another Dwayne uh, Johnson, the Rock story. Well, well, later on, you guys might can help me with the uh, dates. What? What was the year of the WrestleMania of Rock and Cena number two? Oh crap. In, in oh, Miami too. Okay. It was in Miami. No, it was New. It was New York. No. Miami was the but first. That was New York. Okay. Yeah, All Miami right. was Thank the you. first one. So. Uh, I was you know, what, uh, 2013. Yeah, I can't remember what was in Miami. Okay. Okay. Two, <laughs> 2013. So I had just been oh, out crap. of wrestling since been out of wrestling since 2001. I was working a job as a market director for a traveling circus. And I woke up one Monday morning uh, in my hotel room and was looking at the news and I saw an ad and I thought, and I saw that Monday Night Raw, the go-home show for WrestleMania, was in Washington, D.C. So I thought, shit, I hadn't seen the King in a long time, so I'll call Lawler. So I called Lawler and and um, he said, uh, I said, hello. And he said, where are you? I said, it's the same place you are. He said, you're on this plane? Well, he was still in Memphis. Uh, you know, I, in, in DC. I said, no, I'm in D.C. I told him what I was doing. He said, come see me. Uh, I'll get around to this story because rock is related. But anyway, I go oh, to go Lawler's ahead, Hotel. Man. Take your time. I, I go He's to Lawler's Hotel, and we ride over to the thing, and the, the parking area for the wrestlers are downstairs. Lawler, of course, still the, the co-host with J.R., and uh, of Monday Night Raw, and so Lawler and I go from that parking garage, and we go through a tunnel, and it's a long tunnel, and all of a sudden, eight of the biggest, meanest-looking <coughs> dudes, dudes you've ever seen in your life, uh, walked toward us, and then somebody was in the middle of them. There were security guards for Dwayne Johnson for uh, The Rock, and at the last second, I realized that it was the it was Dwayne Johnson. I realized it was the Rock. I realized it was the guy I knew uh, at fifteen, but I knew when he was ten years old with his dad, and we called him Dewey. I knew the Dewey version of the Rock. Uh, I knew the Flex Cabana version of the Rock, the Rock version of the Rock, and the Dwayne Johnson version of the Rock. I was going to see that night, so we were going down. Waller ahead of me. Waller, uh, and Waller kept walking. The Rock kept walking. Walked by Waller and he said, "Hey, King," and uh, Waller said, "Hey, Rock." He kept walking. I kept walking. We became eye contact. He nodded at me. I nodded and smiled at him. We kept walking. Obviously, I'm thinking it's, uh, you know, I hadn't seen the guy since 1996. This is 2013, and he makes movies now, and he's been away from the WWE for years, and he certainly wouldn't remember me. So we kept walking and got probably about oh. 20, 
feet and it it registered with them all of a sudden he screamed out Randy Hales and then I turned around and started walking Laura and I started walking back toward him he started walking back toward us he gave me the the big the big hug that sort of thing these bodyguards looking all mean and nasty and keeping an eye on what's uh, going on in fact finally Doc said, what are you doing? And Laura answered, well, Randy's working for so-and-so, and he's here just to see me, blah, blah, blah. And Rock said, Randy, I got bone to pick with you. Got a bone to pick with you. But that's what those security people were saying. That was red alert, high alert to them, and they were some bad-looking son-of-a-guns. Anyway, (laughs) the Rock said to me, the Rock said to me, he said, Randy Hills, you owe me $40. Oh. I said, I said forty dollars. I said, why? I said, I don't remember ever borrowing. I said, one time you borrowed forty dollars for me your first day in Memphis. Remember? And he said, oh, but I gave you that back. I said, yeah, you did. I said, how do I owe you forty dollars? He said, that last Memphis main event that you had me in, I think you short shamed me by forty dollars. So I reached, I reached in my my envelope. Pulled out two $20 bills. I placed it uh, in his hand. He grabbed the money. Those big, mean-looking, nasty-looking, intimidating-looking security guards was looking at me. And he took that $20. He took that $20. And then he he kissed the two $20 bills, handed it back to me. He said, without... uh, Forty dollars payoffs, like I was getting back in the day, and without learning the business with the help of you and Waller, said I'd never uh, be what I am today. Said I love y'all, and off he went. You know, not a goodbye, nothing, just uh, another hug, and off he went. So that's my rock story. Oh my gosh, we can't top that. But we can't top that. But if you have any more things, let's go ahead. Uh, (laughs) I want to ask you about two guys. One guy that uh, came to Memphis and nobody ever thought would really be anything, and that's a guy by the name of Shane Douglas. Hey, that was mine to ask. You're an ass. Yeah, t- talk to us about Shane Douglas, please. Sean, you're a stink. <laughs> that, I can't help you too much with that. That must, that must have been an arrow where I wasn't around. I don't remember – I certainly remember John Douglas. I I really don't remember him being in Memphis. I really don't. Not one iota at all of him being in Memphis. I remember Paul Heyman being in Memphis. I remember Rob Van Dam being in Memphis. But I don't remember Sean. I remember Sabu being in Memphis. But I remember um, a lot of people, the Eliminators being in Memphis, ECW guys. I do not remember Douglas being in Memphis at all. Um, talk to us about Heyman, because Heyman and Lawler always seem to have this love-hate relationship, but Lawler actually came in and helped Paulie in a time that Paulie needed some help. And I think that was more that uh, Vince, McMahon, Vince McMahon asked Lawler to do that at the time. Paul just started out uh, here, wasn't here a long time, Eddie Gilbert. Uh, was friends with him. He was the manager of the 1987 match where uh, the big angle was where Lawler lost his hair in a match with Austin Idol and Tommy Rich underneath the ring and Heyman was at rings 
size. Home, Hangman was a starting. He was a smart, brash New Yorker type of uh, guy. But, uh, you know, I never had any uh, personal issues. You know, one time I remember one night in Louisville, I don't remember uh, if I told him or if Waller told him, but he had agreed to do a finish and, and then didn't want to go up that sca- scaffold. And I actually think I booked that. That I think Jerry Jarrett was booking. He's on vacation. I think I booked that scaffold match, and he agreed to go up the scaffold and then change the mind, and he was fired after the match. But obviously, he's one of the best minds uh, in the business. He's absolutely brilliant. He's absolutely one of the best talkers currently in the uh, the business. And then later on, at a uh, it might have been that uh, that same night. Come to think about it, I think that's in 2000. 13, I think that's the last time I remember of being at a WWE uh, show, and, and I saw him and talked to him. Pleasant conversation. I think he's great. Did you ever right. know when Katie. you met Hayden? Hold on one second. <laughs> did you ever oh, know when you met? Right. Did you ever know when you did you know when you met Heyman that he would be a Booker? the way he was with ECW. No. He was just starting out. It was his first real ter- territory. We didn't get into that depth of the, the conversation. So so at that point, you know, I always knew Jim Cornette was going to be a booker. I knew it before he ever broke in the business, uh, you know, just because I knew him since he was a photographer, since he was a teenager like me. He's a little older than me. I knew about him. But no, the answer is no, I did not. Okay. Go ahead, Katie. <laughs> you guys suck. Um, okay, uh, tell us a little about Ricky Steamboat, if you can. Ricky Steamboat never worked in Memphis Oh, I know that, but you got nothing to say about Steamboat? Nothing? Well, if you want me to talk about Steamboat, the, the original <laughs> run in the 70s that he Please? had Ricky Steamboat in the Carolinas was absolutely... Uh, fantastic. He came in, he wrestled doing jobs on Georgia TV as Richard Blood, uh, oh, wow. and then he, he was brought in to the Carolinas, Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, great uh, great tag team. Uh, he had the great program, uh, program number one with Flair. Later on, you know, obviously, uh, when he became came to the WWE, WrestleMania three at Pontiac mm-hmm. Silverdome, I think probably a lot of people to this day would say that the best wrestling match ever at WrestleMania was Ricky Steamboat and Randy uh, Savage. Uh, hell, the guy drew a lot. Of, the guy, the guy drew a lot of money, and I just don't know him personally at all. And, and he was never involved well, I don't, working I don't for the Memphis Territory. I don't know him personally, but I have met him. He's a sweet, sweet man. He's just a genuine he- human being. He's incredible. And I can sit here and gush about him all night, but I'm not going to because now you can hear me blush live on air. <laughs> uh, Randy, we, oh, we, like to, we like to ask all of our guys that have worked for Territories this, who is the biggest dick to uh, everybody back in the Memphis <laughs> Territory? Well, there's different dicks on different days. The guy with the dick, There's a dick for dick for every day. The, the dick on Monday uh, would be the greatest guy in the world on Tuesday. 
you, you, you know, and so, right. you know, I'd have to wreck, wreck my uh, brain. It was a full-time job for these guys and everybody, and most of the people we had in would work every day. They, they didn't want to piss off the book or the office. <laughs> you, you, know, just, you know, very rare, very rarely. You like people more than uh, the others, but to just signify uh, Dick, uh, the quick thing to do if we didn't like somebody and didn't think they would fit in with the dressing room, with the announcers, with the management, with the fans, we just politely and quickly give them their notice and they could go somewhere else. You know, just so no specifics for that answer. <laughs> All right. Um, what was the biggest river road story you have? I'm trying to think of one that won't uh, get me in jail. <laughs> Hold on, trust me. Okay, the story that first, the first story that came in my mind, I can't say. The second story that came in my mind, I can't say. The third story that came in my mind, I can't say. The fourth. So obviously, remember, I was the office, and they weren't gonna pull ribs on me. And they would kayfabe me on ribs that would happen. I mean, they, they absolutely uh, would. Most of the time, uh, I would ride with Eddie Marlin. I would ride with Jerry Jarrett. I'd ride with Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee, all office people. Then later on, I rode with Frank Morrell, the referee, and Billy Travis, and, and Jeff Jarrett. And I rode together uh, for uh, for years. As far as somebody putting a... Mickey in a drink or pill in a drink or, or shaving an eye, eyebrow of something. You know, Memphis um, territory is is really not known for a lot of ribs, especially vicious ribs. I remember uh, oh, one, one, one day Jerry Jarrett Tojo Yamamoto was in a dressing room in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I always heard this, um, this story, uh, Tojo and Jerry and they put some icy hot in the underwear of um, of Jerry Lawler and Jim White. Somebody stooped that off, so Lawler uh, switched the gimmick. And by the time in the middle of the match, they were set on fire. They were set on fire because they had the icy hot in their tights, and they were wrestling and sweating and became oh dis- disastrous. And they were pulling up off their tights as they were walking back toward the the dressing room, same like that. Harmless rips are the ones that I remember of hearing about. No, uh, heck, we were home almost every night. You know, except for Friday night, most people lived in Nashville. We were home almost every night. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. You know, that and that's one of those things that uh, you know you guys had a territory that. Uh, was pretty much everything was within driving distance and that of your, of your home. So that, that must, that must've been a nice feeling. You didn't have to be stuck in, you know, in a, in a, in a flea bag motel somewhere, you know, every, every different night. And that I've, I taught, I, I told, I told in interviews in the past myself where, I sit there and say, yeah, I've stayed in, I've stayed in motels that a roach wouldn't uh, lower themselves to stay at. Uh-huh. Right. We used, to, we used to stay. It sounds worse than it is. We stayed in a motel on Friday nights in Memphis at a place called the Admiral 
Bimbo. Admiral oh my Bimbo. God. That was Admiral the baby Bimbo. Admiral Bimbo. Admiral Bimbo. And that was the Babyface uh, Hotel. The Hills and Babyfaces don't stay together. And and uh, the the Hills used to stay at the Admiral Bimbo on Union Avenue. So that's the day. Uh, one time it was the uh, the Days Inn. One time the Holiday Inn Express. You know, you move around. But obviously there was a rule. Hills and Babyfaces didn't stay at the hotel. That's right. Well, that's it's the same way back in Memphis days. The heels and the babies weren't in the same lot, didn't come out of the same dressing room either. Well, depending on the town, in Louisville, everybody was together, in Memphis, everybody was together, in Evansville, everybody was together, in Lexington, everybody was together, in Nashville, they were opposite sides of of the dressing room. Most of the spot shows opposite opposite sides of the building type of thing. It just depended on where you are. But at TV and the, the main weekly towns except for Nashville, uh, the dressing rooms were together where you could get together. Hmm. All, All right. right. Well, okay. Uh, anything I else? This. I love this. It's been great. This has I, been wonderful. I I can't. I can't think of. I can't think of anything myself. Um, John, Katie, any anything you guys am, can uh, come up with? I am well satiated. Thank you. I'm good. I got nothing. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Randy, thank you so very, very much for this evening. This has been an amazing past couple of hours. You have. Uh, regaled us with a lot of stories and a lot of knowledge, um, things that uh, I know I was not even aware of, and I do consider myself a bit of a historian. So, my friend, thank you very, very much. I am very, very grateful for you coming on and joining us tonight. I'm a wrestling promoter. Got to get the plug in we didn't talk a lot about power pro wrestling do, nxt well, before there was nxt nxt right. before before there was a nxt the power pro wrestling collection available i want everybody listening here from wherever you may be go to randy hills memphis wrestling.com some great collections you can order individually we have the jim cornett collection for only fifty dollars eight dvds over 30 shows of Jim Cornette's last run as a oh, wrestling wow. manager. This is a must-see, $50 for uh, for eight DVDs, actually. We also have the complete collection, uh, which would be 37 DVDs, the entire 154-show run of NXT before it was NXT, Power Pro Wrestling from 98 to 2001, 154 shows. It's Wrestling dot com. And obviously, you heard me talk for two hours. If you want to go back and listen for 20 hours worth of stuff, I'm proud of my podcast. I did in January. It's podcast number nine. It's in the archives. My Brian Christopher Lawler tribute show where we talk to a bunch of people. It's a five-hour-long podcast tribute to Brian Christopher. It's still on the archives. It's podavenue.com slash hails. Same podcast host that has booking uh, Memphis Wrestling with Jerry Jarrett and Dinner with the King with Jerry Lawler. It's Randy Hills Memphis Memories, uh, and it's at PodAvenue.com 
slash Hales, H-A-L-E-S. I had a ball tonight. had a good time. Thanks for coming out. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Hey, you're on. You're on. Hey. You're you're now considered family. Yeah. You're you're Uncle Randy to me. So I'm Uncle Randy Come. to a lot of people, darling, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, uh, no, no, it's true. It's true, okay. Like there's there's Uncle Bill After, there's Uncle Kenny Bolin, Uncle Sam Houston. I've got a couple uncles that come on here. I love y'all. I really yeah. do. That. Well, tonight good, was good tonight luck. was wonderful. Good luck with your shows, guys. Good luck with your shows. Hey. And as Lance Russell yeah. would say, for Memphis Wrestling, I'm Randy Hill saying bye bye, everybody. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye bye. Oh man. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that was great. This has been. This has been an awesome night. I am so glad that. I found I found Randy on Periscope and that uh, we were able to make this happen because this was this is some great stuff. Learned a lot tonight. Uh, got uh, highly entertained with a lot of great stories about uh, one of the great territories of our of our of our industry and that. So All I'm right. real happy with that. This Saturday night, real quick rundown. This Saturday night, intro. Oh, Returns to the Building F in Pekin, Illinois, the Woodworker's Shop. Doors open at 6.30. Bell time is 7 o'clock p.m. Reserve your tickets now by contacting Midwest Impact Pro on Facebook. That's Midwest Impact Pro on Facebook or Joey Grunge. That's J-O-E-Y-G-R-U-S. N-G-E, Joey Grunge, and you can reserve your tickets right now for this Saturday night back in Pekin, Illinois, as we are, well, Midwest Impact Pro is on the road to their next big event in Havana on May the 11th. In Havana. Mm. So, Sorry. Uh, awesome. if you're, I will be there this weekend. Uh, if you see me, come say hello. And for myself, I am Sadistic Sean David, along with my co-host. The Dean of Wrestling Referee, Steve Kane. Uh, the reason why this show will never be a bag of dicks. I had a wonderful night. That was a great, it's a great show, boys. We really got to have him on again. Uh, You're an ass. Good night, everyone. Good night. Closing time, open all the doors and let you out into the world. Closing time, turn all of the lights on over every boy and every girl. Closing time, one last call for alcohol to finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time You don't have to go home But you can't stay
my mother beginning and